Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. The earliest evidence for human consumption of cannabis as a drug has been discovered in a 2,500-year-old cemetery in Central Asia. We are still debating its value today. Medical cannabis, tonight, on call with the Prairie Dock, celebrating our 20th season. Welcome to On Call with the Prairie Duck. I'm Dr. Andrew Ellsworth. Our program tonight is part of the celebration of 20 seasons of truthful, tested, and timely medical information. Continuing that tradition is our goal for tonight's discussion. Joining us tonight here in our studio on the South Dakota State University campus are Dr. Tyler Jarez, Avera Medical Group Palliative Medicine, Sioux Falls, Dr. Jeremy Daniel, Doctor of Pharmacy and Associate Professor, South Dakota State University, College of Pharmacy and Allied Health Professions, and Tim Rave, President and CEO of South Dakota Association of Healthcare Organizations. Also, joining us via Zoom and Skype, we have Kim Malsum Risden, Vice President of Public Policy of Vera Health and former South Dakota Secretary of Health, and Dr. Shauna Schmidt, Avera Medical Group Pain Management Aberdeen. Welcome to all of you. Thank you. I really appreciate everyone being willing to be on the show with me tonight uh, for this timely medical topic. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it can be a difficult topic and, and one that there can be a lot of feelings on multiple sides. Um, and I appreciate you stepping up to here to provide honest medical information um, uh, and, and, and this is our chance as, as the medical field to give our perspective. Um, Tyler, if you wouldn't mind uh, giving us a little introduction about yourself and uh, uh, sure. feel free to share whatever you want oh, about sure. yourself. Um, well, so I'm a hospice and palliative care physician, um, so I specialize in chronic disease and even end of life care. Um, I'm kind of based in Sioux Falls um, out of Vera McKinnon. I grew up uh, in South Dakota, in Aberdeen, actually, um, schooled in South Dakota, went to medical school um, down in Vermilion um, at Stanford School of Medicine, uh, residency outside the state, um, and came back to practice as a hospitalist for a few years before transitioning into sort of my hospice role and then my palliative role. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And Tim, how about you? Yeah, uh, thanks for having us, Andrew. I really appreciate it, and you're right, it's timely uh, discussion, just getting on the heels of legislative session. Uh, again, uh, Tim Rave, I'm president of the uh, Hospital Association. Uh, we represent uh, all 54 nonprofit hospitals in the state, along with 46 long-term care facilities and 76 assisted living uh, centers as well. Um, uh, briefly, my career, uh, I was a paramedic in Sioux Falls for 23 years, flight paramedic uh, during that time. I spent many years in the South Dakota legislature, and have been at the Hospital Association for the last uh, three and a half years now. Excellent. And so you've had to 
help these hospitals navigate the medical marijuana changes. Yes, sir. Yep, been in the middle of that uh, the whole time, so yeah. Very good. Jeremy, how about you? Sure, so Jeremy Daniel, I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice with SDSU. Um, also have a psychiatry position with the University of South Dakota, and so even though I have those state roles, I'm not here representing the state tonight or the border regions, just kind of here to have, to have a chat with you about medical marijuana. Um, in my day job, I'm also a psychiatric clinical pharmacist with the Vera Behavioral Health based on in Sioux Falls. So a lot of my work is based on the inpatient units, um, helping our providers uh, help our patients, uh, the struggle with mental health disorders. Uh, went to pharmacy school at Purdue in Indiana, trained in residency at the VA in Lexington, and then a transplant here to South Dakota about eight years ago. And, so. you're, and you're here to stay. Exactly, I, I love it here actually. So a little bit colder than I thought it was gonna be, but that's all right. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, uh, Kim, uh, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself, please. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Kim Elson Risden, um, Vice President of Public Policy for Avera Health. Um, I actually work out of here. That's where I'm sitting right now. Um, but in prior to taking this position, um, I worked for the state of South Dakota for 25 years in different roles in different agencies, most recently serving as the Secretary of Health um, for the last seven years. So through COVID and through the starting phases of the state's medical cannabis program. Very good, thank you. And uh, and then Dr. Schmidt, Shauna, if you wouldn't mind speaking too, please. Yeah, I'm Dr. Shauna Schmidt. I'm a pain management physician in Aberdeen, South Dakota. I'm born and raised in South Dakota, and I've been in Aberdeen since 2007. Excellent. Um, so, Kim, you, you know, you've been involved with this medical marijuana program since the beginning in the state. If you wouldn't mind giving us a little background on it and, and how the program works. Sure, absolutely. Um, so medical cannabis uh, started in South Dakota with uh, the passage of Initiated Measure 26. Uh, that was on uh, the ballot um, and it passed in uh, November of uh, 2021. And so what that did is it legalized medical cannabis. Um, the initiated measure itself had about 95 different sections. And all 95 of those sections actually became law um, in July of 2021. A couple aspects of the law required the uh, state to develop uh, comprehensive rules to really govern um, certain aspects of the program. So between the law with its 95 sections and then the administrative rules, which there's about 140 of those, uh, we've got a lot of uh, guidance on the books for how this program is going to, to run in South Dakota. Um, the other thing that I would just mention is that there are a couple of, of uh, timelines associated with Initiated Measure 26. The first one is that those rules needed to be in place uh, by the end of October of 2021, and then the state needed to be able to issue cards to people that qualify as, as medical cannabis patients by November 18th. And so uh, a lot of work uh, went on to kind of meet those timelines and uh, the State Department of Health with the help of the Department of Revenue has, has been able to accomplish that. And so uh, we've got a system in place for people to apply uh, to become a medical cannabis patient. And I'll walk you, walk you through that process here in a minute. The other thing I do want to mention, you're going to hear more about that tonight, I, I know, is the legislature has also been involved in this program since Initiated Measure 26 passed. So this past summer, um, there was a summer study committee that involved about 24 different legislators uh, looking at various aspects of cannabis policy in the state. And uh, this past legislative session that just ended, uh, we saw uh, just uh, shy of 50 different bills looking to make tweaks to the state's program. And so those changes that uh, passed, and there were several, will become effective this next July. 
all of that is to say is that uh, I think the program will continue to evolve and grow um, in terms of numbers of patients and numbers of of dispensaries and and cultivators and uh, you know all of the businesses that really support uh, a cannabis industry in South Dakota. So I think the the thing that most people want to know is you know if you're uh, if you think you might benefit from medical cannabis you know how do you go about doing that? So the way this program works in South Dakota, um, again set out by law that was passed by the voters, is that a patient needs to to go see their provider. Um, and initially that was just a physician come July 1st, that'll be expanded to other types of providers. But, uh, you know, the idea is that this is a, a conversation between a patient and their, their medical provider. Um, that medical provider then is going to assess the, the, their patient to see if they meet the qualifications um, to become a medical cannabis uh, patient, um, if they meet the statutory criteria. Um, and if they do, then that uh, provider will go to the state website and enroll that patient um, through the certification process. Um, at that point, then the state will send that patient an email indicating that they um, can now apply for that medical cannabis card. So um, the starting process is that conversation between a patient and their provider. And um, if the person meets the, the uh, requirements um, and the, the provider is willing to provide that certification, uh, the state will then cue that patient to apply. Um, and once uh, that happens and the fee is paid, then the state will issue the card. The patient will then need to go to a dispensary and purchase medical cannabis. The other thing I'd just like to mention and get that out of the way is, um, uh, with the timing of the need to grow cannabis in South Dakota for the purposes of this program um, and the fact that we're just starting now to see those kinds of uh, entities be registered uh, with the state program, all of that means that we're not going to see cannabis available um, in dispensaries to be purchased through the state program um, until this summer or maybe even early fall. So there's and that's no, to allow the cannabis to grow. So there's no operational dispensary yet? Correct. From in the state um, of South know, the Dakota outside of the reservations. That is correct. And so I think it's a it's an important distinction to um, remember that the state program, um, you know, will be registering entities outside of tribal entity outside tribal areas, uh, tribal businesses, uh, tribal members could apply to be a, a part of the state program, um, and that's acceptable. But um, having a state card does not uh, necessarily get you the benefit on, at a tribal program. Tribal programs can have their own rules. Gotcha. Well, uh, we look forward to answering your questions about medical cannabis. Please call 1-888-376-6225, send an email to ask at prairiedoc.org, or ask on our Prairie Doc Facebook page. Each night, we work to answer as many of your questions as possible, given the time we have for the episode. Tonight's episode may be one of those that receive more questions than we can cover in that time limit. We apologize if we do not get to your question, but we encourage you to ask early to give us the best chance to answer. And to encourage your questions earlier, those of you who ask a question during the first 20 minutes of tonight's program will be entered into a drawing for one of our Prairie Doc gift items. The winner will be announced at the end of this program. 
Your question will remain anonymous, but be sure to provide your name and contact information when you submit your questions so we can contact the winner. Thanks again for that rundown, Kim. It's been quite the process. Um, I want to clarify one thing about between certifying and prescribing. Tim, could you explain that for us? Yeah, absolutely. I think Kim did a great job of outlining that there are um, certain diagnoses that will get you the uh, certification that you need from a provider. And, and as Kim had just alluded to uh, during this last legislative session, there were several changes May we'll talk about a little bit in the future here. Uh, I, I think the motto is if you've seen one medicinal marijuana program, you've seen one. Uh, although there's uh, numerous states that have them. Uh, that was one of the challenges I think we found trying to navigate that. But the certification specifically, you go to your provider, you meet one of the eight diagnoses that are currently in statute, that provider will certify that you meet those conditions, then you would take that card, go to the dispensary, and go through the process that Kim described earlier. Excellent. And uh, Shauna, if you wouldn't mind, uh, if you could, would explain some of those conditions that, that meet the criteria. Definitely. So we're looking at things like multiple sclerosis, spasticity, um, other conditions that affect multiple systems, Parkinson's disease, some of those specific disease processes. Excellent. Now, as a, a, a pain specialist, um, what are some of the conditions that, uh, that you've seen people qualify for? Most of the patients that have been looking in this area have been looking specifically for multiple sclerosis or other conditions where they have spasticity and are looking for the marijuana to help with those symptoms. Excellent. And, and, and Tyler, how about you? Um, are there other conditions you've seen or that are qualify on the list? Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly kind of, you know, piggyback off what Shauna was saying. I mean, um, you know, cancer in particular is a big one for us, um, you know, pain management and cancer especially. Um, and then, like she said, uh, multiple sclerosis, ALS um, uh, are also uh, pretty big. Um, you know, from a palliative care perspective, you know, we're definitely trying to use um, this medication to try to, um, as an adjunct, basically as an add-on, um, to try to reduce our reliance on maybe some other medications, um, maybe reduce our reliance on opioids, for instance. Like we, you know, we're in an opioid epidemic, so if we can use fewer opioids and use something like medical cannabis to reduce reduce pain, reduce spasticity, I mean that's a, a win for us as a medical community. That's a win for the community in general. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Jeremy, um, it, I've had people ask me, you know, will this help with my anxiety? Sure. Do you know, is it helpful for anxiety? So that's, that's a big, it depends. Um, and it really depends on kind of what type of marijuana a person's using, and we can certainly talk about that later on. But um, it also depends on how long a person uses it. Um, so I've, I've looked a lot into the evidence for that, just working with my mental health patients. And it seems that in the beginning of therapy, at least with very uh, small use, kind of infrequent use, then it does actually help reduce some of that anxiety. However, one of the things that we have seen in some of our longer studies, anything over about three to six months, is that patients who use this every day and use quite a bit of it actually have worse anxiety. And sometimes that anxiety doesn't respond to other medications that we might want to use to help them. Right, um, and so unfortunately, you know, it, it does work a little bit in the beginning, but can can have some adverse effects that we don't really think about later on. 
Gotcha. You know, as a pharmacist, I think you'd be the one I'd better ask about what, you know, when we're talking about marijuana, mm -hmm. that can encompass many different chemicals. Could exactly. you speak to that? Yeah, so unfortunately, marijuana is a very complex plant. Um, if you look at the plant itself, most of what we focus on for efficacy or, or how well a medication works um, is those active chemicals within the plant. And in marijuana, those are called cannabinoids. Within marijuana, there are actually 113 different cannabinoids. Now, most of the plants are very high in a chemical called THC. Um, they're also very high in a chemical called CBD. Um, and when we're looking at those two, the THC actually tends to have some of those uh, feeling high type effects that a lot of people seek out when using it recreationally. When we're looking at the medical benefits of marijuana, a lot of what we focus on is that CBD. Now, what makes it really challenging is you can adjust the ratio just a little bit and that plant can have a widely different effect in people. Uh, plus, everyone responds differently to that. And even though I mentioned the active ingredients in the plant, there are over 300 inactive ingredients in the plant as well that also might have some effect and just aren't a cannabinoid, uh, but still play with the way that that, medicate, or that uh, marijuana might work in a patient. Wow. So, yeah. um, so it would seem that there's probably a lot of things we've learned, but a lot of things we don't know yet yep. either. I, I would say that sums up uh, really this whole hour. <laughs> if, if, you, if you want to close early, I think we've got it. Uh, but, but yes, there, there is definitely some that we know, but I feel especially when you, when you go to your providers, there's a lot that we don't know and a lot that we're trying to figure out. Yeah, very yeah. good. Well, recently, the South Dakota State Legislature passed five new bills related to medical cannabis. To sort it out, we turn to the Senior Vice President of Public Policy with Avera Health, Deb Fisher-Clemens. Cannabis is a certification process for patients to receive it. It cannot be prescribed. That term does not exist as we talk about medical cannabis. And one other point that I really want to highlight is that the FDA does, has not approved cannabis as a product. Therefore, it cannot be prescribed. Um, and so it also raises uh, concerns for us as providers and health systems to that it could, in fact, if not handled appropriately, jeopardize our Medicaid and Medicare funding for our patients. So there were five bills that the healthcare industry worked on to, um, to ch make some uh, small changes to assure that folks who are interested in medical cannabis could in fact reach out to their providers, meet with their providers. It has to be an in-person um, process. So one of those things that we wanted to change is to assure that more physician providers would be interested in doing this is changing the terminology in the certification process so that the provider does not have to say that they assure that there will be a therapeutic or palliative effect. Legislation was passed to allow that we as facilities can generate our own policies related to how patients, residents, providers are um, able to work within that world. They can still continue to go to the original provider for their symptoms or their diagnoses of the disease that they actually were seeing them for that, they, that qualifies them for the medical marijuana. They don't have to continue to go back and forth. They can continue to see their current provider. The state is who issues the card. And so we wanted to make sure that that process stayed intact but was done so that our providers would have the ability to influence how it happened. If there's a dispensary that goes live in Sioux Falls or Brookings, then, and, and an individual wants to buy 
their cannabis at that dispensary, they would have to be certified by a physician in uh, in South Dakota through this through the South Dakota process because the the Flandreau reservation process is is not the same, and so they would have to be recertified, in essence, with a provider that um, is certified in the state of South Dakota. So we've got a medical cannabis program that's already having its rules changes even before it's uh, been started. Why do you think the role in it seems like has been so difficult or so slow of this program, Tim? Yeah, great question, Andrew. I think a big part of it is the fact, as Kim alluded to earlier, there's 95 sections to the bill. And it wasn't a bill that went through the legislative process, it was a bill that went on the ballot. So people outside of that process created the language, put it on the ballot, and it passed as is. That's the way that process works. I think as many of us is in the circle of, of the legislature have talked about, this is the gift that's gonna give for many years. We're gonna to have to continue to change as the program evolves, as we learn more about it, what treatments is going to work on, which treatments it's not. Is that list of eight the right list of chronic uh, illnesses or disease processes that we have to worry about, or is it not? Um, it's, it's just, I, I think with a, with a bill that large, there's just so many areas that need to be tweaked, for lack of a better term. I, I think I can assure the viewers, especially the supporters of medical marijuana, that nothing in that process was taking away the ability to get it, but there just simply were some day-to-day -day logistical things that needed to get cleaned up in the process, and, and that's what we're working on. And we'll continue to work on every year for, well, <laughs> likely the foreseeable future. You had that list on your phone there. If you don't yeah. mind pulling it up again, the eight conditions, what, what do you yeah. have listed So the eight there? conditions are a, a wasting syndrome, a chronic pain, debilitating pain, multiple sclerosis, muscular dystrophy, cancer, epilepsy or seizures, uh, muscle spasticity, uh, severe, and uh, intractable nausea. Yeah, and Tyler, is it, you know, when, when you consider that list, now some various conditions can cause some of those symptoms, so, is there a set list or not necessarily? Uh, you, you know, know? From, a, like a, from a palliative care perspective or a medical provider perspective, I mean, certainly other conditions can be associated with some of these like symptoms, basically, you know, or, you know, that is what he's kind of reading. So, I mean, I might have a, you know, someone with a different neurodegenerative disorder or neurologic disorder that's causing, you know, some sort of spasticity or um, nerve type pain or, um, or the other symptoms or nausea or something, you know, that, uh, certainly med maybe medical cannabis, they could benefit from that. So that's a discussion. That's why it's important, I think, that a person meet face-to-face -face with their physician, that they have an evaluation or an examination, and they have that, that discourse, that discussion, and uh, you know, build that relationship. We've got some great questions already. This person uh, from Sioux Falls asked, what kind of help can medical marijuana give to someone with osteoporosis or chronic migraines. I don't know if one of you want to speak to that. Sure, absolutely. I, I think, you know, osteoporosis, I'm going to be the first to say I don't know much about that. I mean, from the way that the human body is set up, there are receptors, or these kind of little areas that the chemicals bind to, uh, that cannabis would affect potentially in the bones. But I don't know whether that's going to help with pain, because we know we've already established pain fairly well. Um, but as far as helping the bone strengthen, I, I, I couldn't tell you that. But. And you know, we were talking a little earlier how 
sometimes you can pull up a little study that sure. backs something up. But sure. And actually, migraines is a great example of that. Um, yeah. if, if you go looking in the literature, you can find studies that say that it's effective for chronic migraines, and you can also find studies that say that it's not helpful for chronic migraines. And that's really the way that it is, even with those eight conditions um, that are debilitating, you can find really good studies for pain, but you can also find studies where marijuana did nothing for people's pain. And so that's why I say we, we know a little, we have a lot to learn. Um, and so as far as you know, that, that person's question, helping with chronic migraines, it's possible. Um, but again, there's just as much evidence on the side that it may do nothing. Another prime example where I'm glad the, 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 the state has agreed that we want this to be a conversation between you and Absolutely. your doctor that mm -hmm. you have a relationship with that can follow you through the process right. With, right. with this. Um, Shauna, if I could ask you a question too. Um, a, a caller is wondering um, from, from, from uh, it says Gilmont, South Dakota. I, I don't know if that's... I'm not sure where that is too. A caller is wondering if medical marijuana can be used for balance and ache, balance and aches and pains is what they said there. So I think we really need to be careful um, to speak to others' points. When I pull up studies on chronic pain and medical marijuana, about 50% of them are positive and 50% of them are negative. Um, I think we also need to remember that one of the side effects can be dizziness or feelings of unsteadiness. So to speak to that same point, you need to have a discussion with your physician to look at underlying causes and see if this is really the best option for you. I also think to, to kind of support um, Shauna's point, with that caller just asking about regular everyday aches and pains, I don't know that a lot of the literature looks at that. Um, just again, kind of, you know, you, you slipped while you were doing some yard work outside and so now your hip hurts for a little while. That's not really what this is intended, right? This is, you know, for people that have had debilitating pain for a long period of time. And then the studies start to point to a little bit of more of a positive direction. Yeah, yeah. It does sound like it's more of a... <clears throat> palliative treatment, which a lot of medications are. Mm -hmm. There's not as many that cure something. Sure. Do we know of anything that, that marijuana can cure? No. So go ahead. Sorry. Oh, and I think the, the other thing to consider with this as well is most of these, these disorders that we have have other FDA approved treatments. They have other things that we may use as kind of again, a first line or a first agent we would use. Mm -hmm. Marijuana doesn't tend to be a first line agent for most things. Right, we would be looking at failure of other agents. So I think that term of palliative and kind of looking at one of our last resorts or even salvage therapy, we sometimes use that term, uh, may be a good place. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah, just maybe if I add that too, we were discussing mm -hmm. you know, earlier, talking about studies just a little bit and the fact that when you look at um, you know, cannabis, um, just in general, looking at the studies, uh, the studies are often you know, small studies we talked about yeah. um, and often you know, they're you know, cannabis is compared to placebo. It's not really compared to some of our, our best treatments, you know, for nausea or for pain or, or for, you know, any given, you know, symptom management um, piece that we're looking at. Yeah. yeah. I've also heard that some of the studies have a high dropout rate because of some of the side effects right. that people experience, which make it a little hard to, right. to determine too. Um, Shauna, for individuals who have experienced a stroke, are paralyzed and are experiencing muscle spasms, would cannabis be of help? This question from Beersford, South Dakota. So that would fall into the spasticity category. Again, not a first line treatment. Um, it would have to be a conversation because we would be looking at therapy, medications, Botox treatments, other things 
but it would, again, be a potential benefit. Excellent. Um, you know, Kim, if I can't, if I wouldn't mind going to you, there's a couple questions here that are following a similar theme. Like one caller from Nemo, South Dakota, is wondering why medical marijuana can't be prescribed using the same system that we have in place for other medications. And another one from Spearfish, why does a patient need to get medical marijuana through a dispensary instead of through a pharmacy? Why would it be different than other medications? Those are, those are great questions. And um, just to emphasize uh, some of the things that uh, Deb Fisher Clemens mentioned earlier, um, cannabis is not an FDA approved drug. And so um, it cannot be prescribed. It is illegal at the federal level. And so physicians um, cannot legally prescribe something that is illegal. And again, it's not FDA approved. And so it's, um, you know, it's the way it is uh, provided is through a, 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 you know, establishments like dispensaries um, pharmacies do not carry uh, medical cannabis um, because of those factors. Very good. While medical marijuana is often described as a beneficial treatment for some people, they should also be aware of its risks. Psychiatrist Dr. Matthew Stanley explains the effects of medical cannabis on mental health and addiction. Of course, I'm a psychiatrist and I, and I have a addiction as one of my specialties and so I see a fair amount of people that have addiction uh, with cannabis, and I, I think for some people that's even controversial that you can be addicted to cannabis, but we see it every day. Uh, so I tend to see people that probably uh, are in the overuse uh, side of the spectrum, and um, you know it tends to dominate their life, and their, uh, like with any addiction, your world starts to kind of orbit around the use rather than the use being something that's supporting your other activities it becomes your primary activity um, also in psychiatry I see a fair amount of people who uh, prefer cannabis for things like anxiety or their depression or whatever uh, psychiatric disorder those are probably two of the most common I see one of the biggest uh, concerns is its relationship to schizophrenia as a disease. And let me tell you, schizophrenia is one of the uh, most devastating mental illnesses uh, that we see. So there have been numerous studies that indicate that it does have a correlation uh, with certainly earlier onset of schizophrenia, but possibly even causation of schizophrenia. Very frightening. Many people that I have uh, seen as patients have indicated to me they use it and it helps with their anxiety. It is somewhat interesting because THC was one of the uh, chemical compounds they used to stimulate panic so they could study panic. So yeah, there is certainly some uh, cross, cross messaging there. Um, so I, I do think that, you know, and, and again, in small amounts, it probably does have that initial effect uh, but if you, again, look at the effects of cannabis uh, in uh, continuous or larger doses, it does seem to stimulate anxiety and panic. And particularly, as I said, once you get to that, uh, if you get to that addicted state where your life is revolving around it, well, now it's a different kind of anxiety. It's about obtaining and using and smoking. It's like any other addiction. It begins to control your life rather than helping you to control your life. So. I think there are significant uh, concerns about cannabis use and anxiety. In spite of the fact that it's a controversial substance, that many people support it, many people will report they've had you know, great benefits from it, 
we need to be just as outspoken to say, but it is harmful to anyone who is young enough to have a developing brain and should be avoided at all costs. I don't think we've been strong enough in our opposition to that, our concern about that. Uh, so I think that's for, uh, it's education. Yeah, that is certainly a concern I have, uh, is if we see really increased use in, in youth um, and, and what happens to, to their brain and their development and their career path and so on with, with use of marijuana. Um, you know, another thing other states have seen is increased use, uh, use in children with some of these edibles, because these edibles can be made into gummy bears and or someone accidentally bakes it into a brownie and brings it to a bake sale or whatever, and it sounds funny, but it can be really serious. And so I don't know if you can speak to edibles and, and how they differ from than smoking. Sure, edibles are actually fairly challenging um, because we know if someone smokes cannabis or vapes cannabis, it's pretty predictable um, how quickly that gets into their system, how long it takes to leave. The challenge with edibles is you know, sometimes your intestines and your, your whole GI system um, absorb more of that or less than that. And that can actually vary about twofold, um, even from just brownie to brownie a patient day to day. Um, if we're looking at kids though, again, everything looks like candy, it looks like sweets, it's cookies, um, those exist as well. And uh, so there is, is a huge risk. If you're looking at a dose for an adult that weighs you know, X pounds and just shrink that down, give the same dose to a small child, uh, there's a huge risk for overdose. And actually in a, in a number of states that um, have already engaged in medical marijuana, on a programs, uh, there was definitely a bump in, in uh, childhood overdoses to the point that I know, especially in, in Colorado and in Washington, there were actually public service announcement campaigns um, to help protect. And if you go into dispensaries in those states, it will, of course, be advertising the strains that they want you to buy. But every third or fourth screen is also, if, if you take an edible, don't redose. You don't know how it's going to work for you. Um, so even if, again, you're using edibles here in South Dakota, um, it's recommended to take your one. And if it, if it didn't help you, try again the next day, right? It, it's not something to redose because you could get yourself into a little bit of a problem later on. Yeah, I think that's important to, re, to, to remember that, you know, these aren't inert. I mean, mm -hmm. they can cause mm -hmm. issues right. too. We want them to help people mm -hmm. and, and we're, we're moving that way. Uh, but, uh, you know, just like the opioid epidemic, sure. there's a spillover into that's some right. people that maybe don't needed or shouldn't take it or could cause problems with and we'll have to be careful especially with our children mm -hmm. and our youth to protect them. Um, you know one one person asked uh, if, uh, if, if the passing of recreational marijuana would be just better and easier for everyone and I don't know if you could speak to that if that if you see that as a positive or a, or a negative. You know I mean I think having that interaction I guess and that relationship with your physician is important. Um, I, I think it really kind of helps um, from a symptom management perspective um, as you kind of go forward and you know not just getting like a not just going to any given dispensary and, and um, sort of building just a relationship there. Um, Where they have a financial incentive right. to get you to use you it. You got it, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I think the thing, and I know we discussed this maybe a little bit before, but then the question about, you know, prescribing versus certification. I mean, you know, a, pr a provider 
certifying you as they're recommending, you know, marijuana for you, medical marijuana for you, cannabis for you, and to go to the dispensary versus, you know, a prescribing practice. I, I, I don't know that, you know, patients, they really want um, prescribers to do that, that they want them to be writing medical marijuana as a prescription. I think that sort of ties them to the prescriber, to have to wait the, for the prescriber, you know, to write the prescription. Maybe the prescriber or their physician doesn't agree with medical cannabis as a, as a treatment option. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's kind of where I'm at on it. Yeah, you're certifying that they have this condition. Right. And then it's, up to, then they, it's not like they have to come back to you right. every time they want a refill yeah, or whatever. That, but that relationship continues you know, to build, I think. You know? yeah. uh, I mean, certainly as part of the certification process from a, with mar medical marijuana, you, know, you, you fill out forms together uh, that kind of say, hey, we're going to continue to build this relationship. I'm going to continue to see you often because you know, medical cannabis isn't like the be-all, end-all as far as symptom management. We have other options. We have things we need to discuss. Um, yeah. It is my understanding, I think, you know, they, they recommend having that, that relationship with your physician mm -hmm. with this. If your provider does not certify, mm -hmm. um, they can send you to another provider that, that will certify and right. still have that relationship right. there. I know, Tim, if you can speak to that. Yeah, we actually addressed that. I think, I think Deb addressed that in her uh, comments as well, that we fixed, addressed that, fixed it this legislative session to make sure that if, if uh, Tyler doesn't want to prescribe and I'm a physician, but I'm in the group and I go, you know, and I'll certify. And I'll say, yeah, you know what, I'll take that patient from you. We're still in the same group, so that patient has that relationship continuing. Mm -hmm. but. It can still access it through that scenario. What, was there a discussion with edible edibles with the legislature? The person asked from Webster, why did the South Dakota legislature deny edible marijuana when people with COPD and lung cancer struggle with smoking marijuana and when having edible options would significantly reduce pain? I, I don't know if that is something that's limited you know, once I don't, they get going. We did not. not take a lot of positions on the types of marijuana, so I guess I'm not gonna speak to that. Maybe Kim uh, had picked up on that prior. I don't, remember, I don't remember them banning edibles. I guess that's news to me, but. Okay. But. okay. Yeah, it, well, it might be something where the, it's just, it's not available yet since there's not dispensaries, but once they're going, uh, yeah. then they should be available perhaps. I think so. I don't know, Kim, can you speak to that? Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there was a bill introduced um, that would have banned edibles as a, as a product to be available in the medical cannabis program. That bill did not pass. And right. so, again, once we see marijuana grown in South Dakota through the state program, it could be manufactured into edible sources. Um, but I would reiterate what we've heard, before, heard just on this show is uh, we need to be careful with those. Um, we don't want them in the hands of children. Um, they need to be taken seriously. Um, you know, uh, there could be a slower um, uh, effect of edibles in your body. And so that redosing idea is if you have part of a cookie and you don't feel anything, you need to wait because it might just be delayed. Um, so there are some real safety issues there, but uh, we will see edibles as part of the state's program. I think one thing that just to go back to that question on recreational versus that prescribed thing or versus the certification process with medical cannabis, I think that when I think of it as a pharmacist, I almost think of those medications that are behind the counter that your pharmacist dispenses and their prescription products versus what you can get over the counter, right? Um, if you have a general ache and pain, um, like you were shoveling your driveway, uh, just with the snow that we just had and you get a little achy, you can go get some ibuprofen, you can get some Tylenol over the counter and you can treat that yourself because it's fairly minor. 
But if you're looking at pain associated with cancer or pain associated with multiple sclerosis, that requires a prescriber to kind of step in and, and manage that a little bit better. And so as, as Tyler mentioned, these conditions that are on this list are very debilitating. It's, it's not an yeah. over-the-counter type treatment option. Um, and so having this certification process in place where you have that relationship with your prescriber is probably best just to make sure that they're still monitoring you. Right. If, if you know, for instance, if Dr. Jarris prescribed a blood pressure medication to a patient, he's going to make sure their blood pressure goes down. Right. It's not yeah. just going to be a willy-nilly go do what you feel. Yeah. Um, you know, we're going to make sure we're monitoring that. And same thing with our certification process with cannabis. Uh, doc, you know, Tyler mentioned that, that that relationship still exists to where we can make sure it's going to help people. Where this provides another tool right. in our arsenal right. of ways to help. Exactly. So right. that that recreational piece. I mean, again, it, if it happens, it happens. But that may not necessarily be um, in the same vein as that. That, that certification process because it made it different for conditions. Yeah, you know there was someone that touched on this earlier. They were, they brought up COPD, um, and uh, this person asked, "Would would medical marijuana be helpful with trouble breathing?" Uh, Shauna, do you do you know of, of any way that if if marijuana or cannabis may be helpful for people with uh, lung disorders? That is not one of the topics I have seen covered. Okay. Yeah. How about you, Tyler? Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I would agree. I really haven't seen good data that way as far as really helping with dyspnea. Um, I mean, I've I've heard, I guess, or seen people maybe having some maybe benefit, um, like helping them maybe feel less anxious or being able to rest, sure. um, you know, a little bit better. But we definitely have other tools, I guess, from a palliative medicine perspective to sort of help folks that are short of breath or yeah. or having other symptoms or anxiety um, because of, you know, a chronic disease like emphysema or COPD. Yeah, like marrow, I mean, um, um, <laughs> Mor morphine mm -hmm. can be helpful for air hunger right. and, and dyspnea, shortness of breath. You got it. How yeah. does that, that's <laughs> a side that, no, but you know, if that helps with pain and if marijuana could help, why wouldn't one help the, the other, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe just how morphine kind of works centrally and how it affects sort of our interpretation of, you know, shortness of breath, um, you know, versus um, how medical cannabis affects that whole system. So, yeah. This person asked uh, from Aberdeen, what part of the marijuana plant do they use for med medical purposes? So that kind of depends um, a little bit as well. I mean, you can still have THC percentages or CBD percentages from the flower, uh, from the leaf. It's kind of all throughout the plant. Um, so um, again, it's, it's kind of a multifactorial piece from that cultivation perspective. I'm not sure if any of us has other information on that. I've not done that myself, so something I'm impressed with. Tim, the last set, you know, kind of going off of that, Tim, this last session, uh, talked about how many plants mm -hmm. someone could have yeah. and that kind of touches on that because whether it's it's what actively making a certain part of the plant or not or yeah yeah I only tangentially know about it because it came up uh, in several committees and testimony so I, I learned uh, a lot about it this year more at least more than I knew um, I think really the thing my takeaways on that would be that uh, the big fight was over unlimited home grow plants which were basically the bill that passed on the ballot and went into statute said you get a minimum of three and then unlimited. There was a huge fight during the session. They kind of came to a compromise on a four total plants and that has a lot to do apparently with the stage of growth and then the bud as uh, Jeremy was just talking about and uh, how you harvest that and I you know beyond that I don't know a lot of details but I just know there's it has a lot to do with the stages of growth in the plant when you can utilize that harvest it and then and then ingest it sure um, Tyler are there other conditions that you've seen um, marijuana be helpful for that we haven't touched on yet 
Yeah, um, I mean, you know, when it comes to conditions, I guess, you know, like COPD or, or some of those, you know, breathing type things, I guess, I really haven't seen a, a lot of efficacy. Um, I mean, many of the things we've talked about, I feel like really encompass a lot of the things it's really useful for. Um, but like the, the neurodegenerative things, the, the nervous system related disorders, the, the chronic pain things that are related to other things like cancer. Um, I, I really haven't seen it, I guess, be, you know, that effective, I guess, maybe for like in heart failure and stuff like that. Um, I just haven't seen that. Um, I have seen it maybe if someone has, um, you know, neuro neuropathy or nerve type pain, um, you know, uh, like some diabetics or for other reasons, maybe end stage renal disease or some other things like that with other underlying comorbidities or medical conditions. Um, where it can be helpful and improve quality of life and again reduce that reliance on other medications um, so that you know people don't maybe they're not too sedated because they're on too many opioids and you know they can have just a kind of better days. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Um, Shauna, is there anything you might piggyback off of that of, of conditions or ways that it, it you've seen it be helpful? Um, I have seen patients with PTSD find some benefit and then also there is some literature out there about migraine headaches and seizure disorders. Gotcha. Um, and like we touched on some of those, it could be helpful um, at first, but then maybe could become, could you touch yeah, on that one as, more time? As Shauna mentioned, I think PTSD is actually a great area for that, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's this pathway that exists in your brain that kind of helps regulate your anxiety. And one of the things that marijuana does, especially in the beginning, is it helps decrease that pathway a little bit. Um, so it helps drop some of that anxiety. The challenge is that that pathway has a way to regulate itself. And when you use marijuana, that also messes with the regulation. Right? And so what we actually see in about, again, three to six months out from a chronic use in PTSD is patients actually have an increase in PTSD symptoms, right? And they don't get better and are reliant on higher and higher doses. Just like you would look at other drugs of abuse, tolerance happens where it requires a higher dose to have the same effect. So when they compare marijuana to placebo, mm -hmm. you know, is there any correlation there, or do you know? Well, and, and that's again just a length of study uh, type yeah. question. So even compared to placebo, it's it's going to be effective. However, the one thing that I just want to touch on, especially in mental health studies, is sometimes even giving a patient something does a lot of work, right? Or even just asking a patient how they're doing or going through a questionnaire tends to help even with PTSD or anxiety. And so that also makes it really challenging to figure out the true effect of medical cannabis in a lot of our mental health disorders is just because we're talking to them. We're screening them. We're visiting with them quite often, and sometimes that alone can help. Kim, in our in our final thirty seconds here, if someone out there is is wanting this program and they're wanting to give it a try, but you know things still quite aren't set up yet for them, what advice might you give them, or or, or what would you tell them? Well, I, I think you know, go back to your your provider. Um, they are going to be best suited to help you with all the options that you might have for the you know, the condition that you have. And um, as we've heard, um, medical cannabis may be a possible solution, uh, but there may be other solutions as, as well. And, you know, our providers just want to help you um, you know, uh, feel the best that you can. And so Excellent. start Thank with that conversation with your provider. Thank you so much. And the winner of our drawing tonight is Tracia from Beersford. Thank you, Tracia, or uh, for Tracia, for asking a question during the first 20 minutes of the show. A gift will be sent to you. We'll be back after this.
In 40 years of practice, I have seen how the final moments of one's life can be inspiring or agonizing, no matter the manner of death. As I see it, the fear of death is a greater enemy than death itself. The fear of death can keep us from making important plans for an advanced directive and hospice, can trap us on a feeding tube and can keep us from finding harmony with the ones we love. A good death requires courage to be prepared. Since ancient times, marijuana has been used for medicinal and recreational purposes in many cultures. In the United States, it became illegal during prohibition, like alcohol. Later, under the Controlled Substances Act in the 1970s, the federal government classified marijuana a Schedule I drug. This classification includes heroin, LSD, and ecstasy, all deemed to have no safe, effective medical use and a high potential for abuse. This Schedule I status imposes bureaucratic and legal barriers, making it difficult to conduct scientific research on the medical benefits from marijuana. Studies that have been conducted are small and limited. Thus, physicians are less confident recommending marijuana for patients. Not to mention, use or possession remains illegal federally and in many states. The word cannabis refers to all products derived from the plant cannabis sativa. There are hundreds of compounds in this plant called cannabinoids. Cannabidiol, CBD, is one of them, and tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, is another. The word marijuana often refers to products from the plant that contain large amounts of THC, which is psychoactive and can alter someone's mental state. Cannabinoids can trigger receptors in the brain to release neurotransmitters to affect mood, sleep, pain, and memory. Drugs with cannabinoids may be helpful in treating nausea and vomiting from cancer treatments, loss of appetite and weight loss from AIDS, chronic pain syndrome, multiple sclerosis symptoms, glaucoma, and children suffering from seizures. There may be other medical benefits we are not yet aware of. We need more research to determine safe treatments and establish confidence. Marijuana use can cause harm. It can do more than dull the brain and give someone the munchies. It can increase the risk of motor vehicle crashes. In some individuals, it can increase the risk of developing schizophrenia or other mental illnesses. Frequent use by adults and use in adolescents can decrease attention and memory or cause cannabis use disorder, which has symptoms of craving, withdrawal, lack of control, and negative effects on personal and professional responsibilities. Sometimes people develop recurrent severe vomiting. Vaping products with THC has resulted in severe lung injury. Marijuana has been used as a medicine for a very long time in various cultures. Yes, it can be addictive and it can cause problems. Although, when you consider the harms from alcohol, tobacco, narcotic painkillers, and other medications, perhaps cannabis deserves a chance to be further studied and used when medically appropriate.
Thank you so much to all our guests for volunteering their time to help us learn more about medical cannabis. If you would like to see and hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube or visit us at prairiedoc.org. Look for Prairie Doc Perspectives in your local newspaper and be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever you get your podcasts. From all of us here at On Call with Prairie Doc, celebrating our 20th season of truthful, tested, and timely medical information, until next time, stay healthy out there, people. It is time again to open the phones, texts, and emails. We take all of your medical questions as it is Ask the Prairie Docs. Next time, On Call with the Prairie Doc, celebrating our 20th season. I grew up on a farm near Wessington Springs, South Dakota. All my life, I've been an advocate for rural communities. One of the major challenges we face is providing reliable and easy access to primary health care. Hello. I'm Dr. Tom Dean. After completing medical training nearly 50 years ago, my wife Kathy and I came back to Wessington Springs to provide health care and to raise our family. Just like you, we love our small town. I serve on the Healing Words Foundation Board. This year, we celebrate the 20th season of the Prairie Dock. Rick and Joni Holmes started this mission of providing objective, evidence-based health care information free of charge to everyone especially to people in rural areas who may have limited access to healthcare professionals. Truthful, tested, timely medical information for 20 seasons. That's the Prairie Doc, and it's up to us to help to continue that legacy. Please give to the Healing Words Foundation. Go to prairiedoc.org and make your donation today. Thank you. Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Doc has been provided by Avera is a proud sponsor of On Call with the Prairie Doc on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Doc as it continues to open doors for important medical information. And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, First Bank and Trust, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Monument Health, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings Madison Flandreau District Medical Society, Peer District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Orthopedic Institute, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swift Health Communications. <laughs>